one of my favorites. Me too. Uh, yeah. Hope you're enjoying some of our favorites of 2019. Again, we'll get to the music portion at the end of this episode. And we may mess around with the format in the future, depending on what we want to talk about. Uh, but for now, we're going to transition into... that. This is, this is what I came here for, honestly. Yeah. Great year for TV, but movies, they came through in the end for me. Uh, we're about to talk about our top 10 favorite films of 2019. Uh, you kicked off the last list, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Yes, sir. Well, I'm going to do that, and you're still going to end up basically letting me go last, because I'm, I'm going to cheat right here at the top. We're opening with my number 11. Oh! Okay? So my number 11 is a two-way tie. So these are like my the best of my honorable mentions, I suppose. I, I couldn't quite fit them both on the top 10, even though I really, really wanted to, but they're... They're kind of they're similar in some ways, and they echo some other things that are going to happen later in my list. At the eleven slot, I have "Pain and Glory" from Mr. Pedro Almodovar, mm-hmm. okay. and I also have "Marriage Story" from Mr. Noah Baumbach. Okay, and Gavin is looking down at the ground because I'm assuming that he has not seen either of these movies. I know about Marriage Story. I've not seen it. Okay. Don't know what the other one is. Marriage Story, uh, we'll go ahead and start there because you at least know that it's on Netflix. It stars uh, Kylo Ren mm-hmm. and Black Widow. Yep. And uh, they're having a bit of a rough time. Uh, they're going through a divorce. And uh, Admiral Holdo uh, is is representing, uh, try to keep this straight, Black Widow. And... Uh, it's too much black in there. So they're they're mixing hold, each other's uniforms. Hold up. on a second. Let me see if I can do this. And uh, oh my God, what is his name? And Henry Hill is uh, is representing uh, Adam or Kylo Ren. The Henry Hill. Yes. Wow. <laughs> take um, me to jail, Henry Hill. Yes. Wow. Can't, why would you do that, Karen? Karen, <laughs> come on. Yes. Uh, but he also at one point is represented by. Uh, what is his fucking name in MASH? What is Alan Alda's Hawkeye, right? But not the but not Black Widow's Hawkeye. Exactly. The other Hawkeye. Yes. Okay. So he goes to Hawkeye. It was initially. a baby. Oh, sorry. Sorry. He goes terrible. to Hawkeye initially. Mm-hmm. And he's like the nice guy lawyer. Nah, but then I he, can't believe he has this. to go with he has to go with Henry Hill. He has to go with the rough around the edges lawyer, the shark, the one who's gonna take on Admiral Holdo. Um yeah. So a lot of a lot of big stars in this one. It's on Netflix. It's Noah Baumbach, a, a guy who I've been I've had not a love hate relationship, more of an on again off again relationship. Sometimes we're on good terms. Sometimes we I'm kind of indifferent. Uh, I've been a little you know off the Baumbach train for a little bit, just for a little bit. This one totally won me back over. This is my favorite movie of his since The Squid and the Whale, which was basically when I fell in love with him. Uh, it's kind of the the part two to that movie in a lot of ways. That movie was about divorce kind of from the child perspective. This is firmly from the adult perspective. And his parents are happily married, right? <laughs> no. Okay, no, just not. checking. Just uh, checking. And he also is no longer happily married. I don't think he and Greta Gerwig are married. They're just boyfriend-girlfriend. He was, of course, famously married to Jennifer Jason Lee. And this is kind oh. of... A lot of people have assumed parts of this are based on their divorce. You can interpret <laughs> that how you will. She's a maniac. Maniac, oh, oh, it's what? 
Jennifer Jason Lee, Flashdance. She's not in Flashdance. Is that just Jennifer that's, Beals? That's yes. What's Jennifer Jason Lee? Jennifer Jason Lee is leaving Las Vegas and uh, Fast Time. What eighties movie would I? Know what? She, Wait, what's... no. Is leaving Las Vegas Elizabeth Shue? Now I'm confused. Oh, <laughs> Jennifer Jason Lee is Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Okay. Not Phoebe Cates in Fast of Times at Ridgemont High. Okay. But what? There's some rush. Else. Rush is Jennifer Jason Lee. Yes. Jason okay. Gotcha. All right. And leaving Las Vegas is Elizabeth Shue. Yes. 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 Are we sure? We'll find out. <laughs> Look it up. Jennifer Jason Lee is Hateful Eight. That, is that okay? Is that yeah. That, yeah. Visualize. There you go. She's also in Margo at the Wedding. She can uh, still be a maniac. Made after. Oh, well. Well. Anyways, um, <clears throat> very interesting movie. In as much as it's. It's not about two people that inherently like hate each other. It's more about the process of divorce and like lawyers getting involved and what that can do to a marriage, even when you're kind of going into it where it's like, we want to make this as like easygoing as possible kind of sort of thing. We don't want the lawyers involved. We can figure this out. And then, yeah. Uh, Why not call it divorce story? Because that who wants to watch that? Well, you know what the number one cause of divorce is, right? What? Marriage. Oh, okay. <laughs> Very <laughs> I think that joke might be in this movie. I Hopefully. Know. I would um, hope so. Anyways, it it's great. Driver kind of takes the cake. It's got, he's kind of a highlight performance, but everybody's great. It's the best Ray Liotta's been in a, in a, probably since Killing Them Softly. It hasn't been that long. You know, he's I, I still stick up for Tell Liotta. me his name in Killing Them Softly. I have no idea. Me neither. But he's great at He it. is perfect. That's the thing. same thing with Narc. I don't know anybody's names in Killing Them Softly off the top of my head. Me neither. But, yeah. Uh, Laura Dern. Everybody kind of thinks shoe in for supporting actress. I I would gladly watch that happen. Who doesn't love Laura Dern? And again, Big Little Lies season two, which I had major issues with. She was not one of them. She was just a highlight and great, as she always is. Love Laura Dern. Uh, ScarJo's great in it too. I yeah. It may it not out. sound like the most appetizing movie. I think you should give it a shot though. It's got like. It's got a lot of heart to it. There is the argument of like, why do I care about these like rich white people and their problems? I get that, but I don't know. I think I think there's a lot of a lot of great stuff in there. It is tied with another kind of semi autobiographical film, Pain and Glory, from Pedro Almodovar, who I know you're probably not that familiar with, but he's it's the birthplace of one of our boys, man, Mr. Antonio Banderas. Mm-hmm. They worked together a lot early in their career. They haven't worked together in a while. The last thing they did together was The Skin I Live In, which was the first time they'd worked together in like over a decade, I think. Mm -hmm. That's a great movie. If you've never seen it, highly recommend it to you. Uh, but this is basically Banderas playing Omodovar, and it's kind of a reflection on his career. Uh I don't really want to say too much about it. It's, it's one of those, I feel like you need a little bit of context. Like you need to have at least seen an Almodovar movie, mm -hmm. maybe a couple. Uh, but also just for us, I feel like you could just dive into it because Banderas is just, it, it is, it reminds you why he is a truly like great actor. I think sometimes we think of him as just a movie star, mm -hmm. but the subtlety of performance in here. He, without spoiling too much, there's elements of him playing um, high a lot because the character becomes addicted to heroin mm -hmm. for a bit. It's not, I say it casually because it's not like the main focus of the movie or yeah. anything, 
But the way he chooses to play that and some of the more like subtle emotional moments of it, I just he was absolutely riveting. And then the movie, it just it just kind of glides along. It's like I've seen probably about ten different Almodovar movies. This one has a a different feel to it. It feels very elegiac and like it's looking back on things, but it's a it's kind of a fond nostalgia. It's not like a depressing nostalgia. And then it arrives at this ending that I I would never want to spoil for anybody, but it's one of those things that took it from like, I'm enjoying this movie, this is really, really well made, what a great performance, to holy shit, like, wow, just a, a knockout, and it's literally the final shot of the movie that does that. It makes you kind of like reframe everything. What is it? And I, I can't tell you. you gotta just say watch spoilers. Just go ahead, tell no. me. Come on, man. No, you gotta watch the movie. I would what never other movies has this guy done that I would know? Um... Time Me Up, Time Me Down is the one I would recommend with Banderas, like early Banderas. It's late 80s, early 90s. Mm-hmm. It's NC-17. It's one of those movies that was like really notorious, and then you watch it, and you're like, this was rated NC-17. Like, calm down, there's no, guys. There's no phallic penises? Um, no... The Skin I Live In, I would highly recommend. But his work with Penelope Cruz, who's also in this movie, um, Volver, uh, Broken Embraces, these are movies like you. So this guy made a movie about his life, and had Antonio Banderas play him. Does it not end with him going into a negotiation with Antonio? Antonio playing himself to talk about playing him this movie. No. Okay, because that's what I thought it was going to do. But that would have blown my mind. So. There, there is some meta textual stuff to the end. I can't ruin. You just you need to watch it because I want to talk about it with you. Pain and Glory, great movie. That one, I think it's it should be coming up soon, rentable. So is he like the like Spanish Pine Hitchcock or something? Like what? He's probably the most famous like international director like that you've heard the name of, but probably haven't seen any of his movies. Like, I mean, yeah, he's he's considered he's the reverse Angley. He's considered one of the greatest filmmakers alive. Yes. And, okay. And kind of again, genre, so great that no one else could make a movie about he, him but himself. He moves across. He moves across genre in a very interesting way. There are mm-hmm. movies that are straight up like Spanish melodrama. There are also movies like The Skin I Live In, which is like this weird sci-fi horror thriller hybrid, um, which is another one that has an ending that will just like completely split your brain into. Hmm. Absolutely incredible. Um, so, yeah, okay. Pain and Glory and Marriage Story tied at my number 11. So now, you're number 10. Let's kick it off in earnest. <laughs> Well, kind of a tough act to follow, but my number 10 is Avengers Endgame. Great movie. <laughs> In my top 20 of the year. Okay. For sure. I guess, excuse me, I got to pull out the big list on the phone as well. I got my notes and I got my... Okay. Where did uh, where did Avengers come in for me? Number 17. Hmm. 17 on the list. I just rewatched this last night. And? On Disney+. Plus. What a great fucking movie, yeah, dude. Man. And you want to talk about in a year where there was some letdowns, some early in the year, some that just happened, like right around Christmas time. Ooh. Um, where th- this movie was satisfying in a way that I never thought it could be. Here's the other main thing I wanted to talk about because I figured you were going to bring this one up. I thought it would crack you. I love that when I sat down in the theater for this movie, I literally had no idea what I was about to watch for three mm-hmm. hours. Yep. The trailer, the hype, all of it 
was built up in such a way that I still, when they revealed the core of this movie that like, we're doing time travel and we're going to go through the history of the Marvel universe yep. that you just lived through for the last like decade plus. That revelation of the theater of like, this is it. This is what it's about. Like, this is how they fix everything. I like, I was elated mm-hmm. and I just, I, I don't know. I feel like so many movies, you kind of walk in knowing what you're going to get to a certain extent. But I love that this, that was such a huge event and the culmination of all of these things. And I was still completely surprised by it, like at every turn. And it was fun and inventive and emotional too. That's the other thing that kind of hit me even more so rewatching it last night. Some of the emotional beats, um, again, spoilers, everybody in the world saw this movie, right? It's the highest grossing movie of all time, right? Mm, I'll check. I think it finally eclipsed Avatar, correct? I'm looking. Keep going. Almost positive. Um, the the fact that again it had been built up all of the spectacle around it and it still delivered the emotional stuff the the Tony stuff did not work for me as much in the theater the first time because I'm I'm a I'm a cat boy I, you know that's yeah. the stuff that worked for me it still hit me this time mm-hmm. but for some reason I don't know watching it at home I was like. Yeah, Downey started all of this. Like, all of the stuff that should have hit me the first time in the theater, like, everything came through last night. Yeah. What? Anything else you want to mention? No, I mean, I I, I didn't know. I, I'll say, oh, I was surprised, but I'm looking back at this list, and the reason this list is this list and there are other things on it is because I genuinely didn't know. I knew that what we saw in the trailers was like, first 15 minutes, first 20 minutes, and that was it. And knowing what- that too, the the five years later jump mm-hmm. in the theater, I remember being just like the balls, the balls on this movie, dude. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, okay, let's yeah. let's go. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, when you see Scott get out, and it's like, oh, his daughter, oh my god, and it's like, oh yeah, he's been he's been okay, but where's everybody? Else? Like that, him finding out everything was crazy. Well, the mean, time jumps are crazy. One of the most emotional beats for me is just Cap leading that like survivors group essentially of just like trying to get people back on their feet because it's like that's that's what that guy would do like this one of the strongest men in the world like this icon and everything and he's just like helping people on a very small scale loved it Mm -hmm. look just great movie totally satisfying talk about sticking the fucking landing on something 20 movies plus in the making like wow I mean, and, I even love Fat Thor. And, and Far From Home was was okay. I didn't um, watch Far From Home yet. And regret, regrettably, I still don't watch Captain Marvel. It's sitting on Disney Plus. I'm about to watch it probably tonight because I'm like basically gonna reverse my way through the. the universe. For someone who loves Ben Mendelsohn, I'm amazed you didn't watch Captain I just, Marvel. I haven't gotten to it. He's so good. There was a lot of stuff this year. Yeah. Okay. Great pick. Mm-hmm. Totally on board with it. Um, my number ten is Paddleton. Uh, it's available on Netflix right now. This Super movie came out depressing. February twenty second. Yes, and I feel like it's been completely forgotten, mm-hmm. and that is a goddamn shame. Uh, because it's still one of the most emotionally like wrenching and beautiful movies I've seen all year. Uh, in a year that is stacked with amazing supporting actor performances, and we'll get into some more of them, I'm sure. Ray Romano is still right up there for me in oh, this yeah. movie. I, I think he's absolutely transcendent. I think he's incredible. Mark Duplass is 
great as always, but Romano was a revelation for me in this movie. Uh, the core plot, it's about two two neighbors in a like pretty depressing apartment complex who hang out on a regular basis and don't really have much else going on in their lives or other significant others. And uh, one of them finds out, uh, spoiler alert, it's Mark Duplass's character, you would know this if you watched the trailer, that he has basically terminal cancer and there's no getting out of it. And uh, it's about how these two friends deal with that. I, it it sounds super depressing, and I'm not going to lie to you. It's it's very upsetting, and if you don't cry at this movie, I kind of think you're not a human being. But uh, it's just it's also beautiful, and it has great performances, and it's just it's real and emotional and honest. Um, it's directed by Alex Lehman, who's worked with Mark Duplass once before in a movie called Blue Jay, which is also very very good. Uh, but Paddleton, really incredible stuff from Netflix all around this year. This is one of the ones that I, I'm like, what, how did more people not talk about this? It's kind of like if 50-50 didn't have the the uh, the light ending of like it's all going to be okay. I feel like that would have like elevated that movie more because I still, watching Paddleton, I was like, God, because it just, I the last big time I remember something like that being tackled that I can, that stayed with me was 50-50. And specifically when, like, what's his face? Uh, JGL. JGL is, like, really mad at at Rogan for, like, not taking shit seriously. And he realizes, well, the entire time he's been reading, like, how do I help my friend deal with this? And it's like, I don't need to be a downer. I need to be, yeah. you know, happy and fun and, like, take take that off his mind. And him realizing, oh, fuck, like, I, I, was, I yelled at him and I was an asshole. He was just trying to do what he thought was best for me. That sort of thing. Like, that is echoed, I feel like, ten times to the fullest in this and it is really fucking super depressing so you know make sure your but again, scripts are it, refilled before to, you start well, watching that's it. my other thing though is it does ultimately end yeah. on a like it, it's not a total like killer and just leave you there yeah it does have a somewhat hopeful ending which i found really really moving um yeah. i yeah just great stuff it's on netflix seek it out it's it's paddleton okay that's my number 10 your number nine, sir. My number nine is It, Chapter Two. All right. Still haven't seen it, so I can't really comment. Uh, surprised it's this high on your list. Yeah. Considering I heard a lot of people were not not fans of, of how things wrapped up. I was, uh, hey, listen, I was in it for Bill Hader and only Bill Hader. And he delivered. And, and that's the main reason that I still want to see it. I've mainly just and been waiting for it to be rentable. Let me tell you. And not $20 on Prime. I realize that you got mom glass, and I'll tell you one thing in this you forget about. McAvoy, dude, fucking solid, but you forget he's even there. That's just how good everybody else is. Not that he's bad. It's just the whole movie is just, fuck, that was McAvoy in there. Holy shit. (laughs) You know? So, yeah. It, too. Way to spoil glass, man. I'm just kidding. It's not on my top ten. It is my number 14, though. Incredible movie. I, I didn't see it. I was you just haven't seen about, Glass yet. No, I was just talking because McAvoy was in it's that. It's on HBO right now. Man. I know, yeah. What are you doing with your life? I'm talking to you. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> Give me your number. Give me your number. My number nine. nine, I also rewatched again recently to confirm that it needed to remain on the top ten. And you know what? It does. It's called Relaxer by Mr. Joel Petrikas. came out in March of this year. You got it for Christmas. I can take it with me and watch it. I w- Yes, that's part of why I watched it early. Uh, the girlfriend was on board initially, and about an hour in, she was like, 
so what the fuck is this about like what what am i watching what's going on here like what's the payoff she's still stuck with it and then she basically bailed before the ending which to me i'm like that's like leaving a a tie baseball game before you know how it ends i don't know it's like leaving the hockey game when they announce they're going to a shootout i got it yes uh i love this movie it is a hundred percent not for everybody you, it might be a chore for you to get through. It's only an hour and a half, but it kind of feels like an eternity. See, I, I encourage you, you to take the listen. relaxer challenge, which is to watch this movie on a couch, and you can't move, and you can't pause it, and you can't you can't get up to do anything. You just got to watch it. Uh, what? Since watching Leftovers, I have said <laughs> over and over, you just got to tell me what shit to watch because you get to watch a lot of it. And so... I just need to know it. If it's something you like, I will like it. Okay. Okay. Jo- Josh Burge, one of my favorite performances of the year. He is the titular relaxer, if you will. And he's challenged by his older brother, played by Mr. Desmolchin, uh, who we've mentioned several times, mm-hmm. uh, to get to level 256 in Pac-Man uh, before Y2K happens. So he's set in 1999. That's the basic premise, and he can't he can't leave the couch until he does it. That's, that's it. That's the plot. And there's a lot more going on below the surface to me. It's got a lot to say. It maybe doesn't communicate it in the most like clear way. I recommend rewatches if you're even inclined to finish it in the first place. There's just nothing like it. Seriously, go watch it. Go watch the Alchemist Cookbook. Go watch Buzzard discover Joel Petrakis and figure out if he's one of your dudes definitely one of my dudes that's my number nine it's called relaxer okay seriously we say this every episode like come downstairs with me because I feel like there's like five or six things recently where I've been like oh you need to borrow this and this and this also meant to ask you do you have baby driver do you have my copy of baby driver no can't find it can't find it wasn't that big box I got you for Christmas either it would have been nice uh, the World's End, uh, I rewatched last night because we couldn't find Baby Driver and because it's not on Showtime anymore. So. Was it in that? What? I was trying to remember what was it. I should have taken pictures of what was in that box I got you. Yeah. Gavin got me a 50 mystery box of DVDs and Blu-ray. Um, some cool stuff in there. I'll, I'll let you know as I work my way through it so far. Billy Madison. It's the only one we've watched. More on why I did that later in this list. You know what we should do? There's 50 in there, right? For the first, well, this is an idea I was pitching around. Like, we should do like a 2020 thing. And every 2020 that we have this year, we should come out with an episode and look back at something. Every 2020? The 20th day of every month for 12 months, it'll be 2020. Okay. Like 01 2020, 02 2020. Okay. So when it's 2020, we have like a, like we look back. Or either you make that your flashback day or something. I don't know. I was thinking of like, hey, it's 2020. We're going to look back at something that like people hated and like they love now. You know what I mean? I got you. Like it was like Hindsight shitty. is 2020. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because that's what I put up on the, the big uh, whiteboard at work. It's like, hey, whether you're looking forward to a, a great year or thinking back about the past, just remember it's all 2020. And nobody got it. All right. Yeah. You want my number eight? Let's do it. It's Crawl. Dude, Crawl's a good movie. Not anywhere near my list, but I had an absolute blast with Crawl. Yeah. Uh, when did you catch? 
Halloween? I talked about this one during October, but I don't know if you'd watched it yet. You mentioned it. I really want to watch I was, it. That as day. I was watching, I was like, "This is a this is hundred percent a Gavin movie." It's Florida. Mm-hmm. There are gators. Yes. Barry Pepper. Yep. <laughs> Strong little, female. A little bit lead. of the pep. <laughs> a little bit of the pep. Hadn't seen the pep in a while. There's hurricanes. <laughs> yeah. But she's a swimmer for the Florida Gate. Dude, just the setup of like, she's a swimmer, the University of Florida, the Gators, Ga- Gators. I was yeah. just like, this is. This is the kind of foreshadowing I like in my movies. Yeah. I like it. Thank very you, Alexander. And Thank you so much. Um, gr- uh, other huge point I'll give him, dude. He takes his sweet time. We there's it takes a while before those gators show up, but once they're there, I mean, just constant dread. And again, I, I maybe it would have played even better on a big screen. My only slight like drag against the movie is some of the CG in places, but. At a certain point, you just like you just go with it, and dude, yes, one of the most satisfying. Like, it was exactly what I wanted it to be. Movies, mm-hmm. and there's there's not enough of those nope. lately. It feels like, I like I I just saw I just saw um, I don't know when it came out. It might be brand new. Probably came out like two years ago. I don't know. But on Prime, this movie Night Hunter, Henry Cavill, Ben Kingsley, Stanley Tucci, and. Um, just the chooch, and I don't know what else he was in, but if you remember Freddy versus Jason, he was like the dude's best friend that went to the camp. You know the face. He might have been like a couple episodes of okay. Other TV. What what about they Night catch Hunt? dude and like he's a fucking serial killer, but then like he's still having shit happen while he's in custody. This and it was it looked. I was like, this is gonna be bullshit. Reading it, reading it. The production value, the way it looked, the acting, the little bit I watched before I fell asleep last night. So I was is, like, this just came out. So this it, is your number eight. No, 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 this is my number eight. <laughs> Crawl's my number eight. But that just like came out. It wasn't in theaters. I'm like, this is really fucking good. Like there's there's these things like Crawl. Like I don't I don't remember it coming to theaters. I mean, I remember it being out and I, I wanted to see it because I was I thought the trailer was great. I thought it was a great premise. And again, Alexander, he knows what he's doing. Yeah. He knows what he's doing with the camera. It's very well shot. Yeah. My point is, that, that's definitely going to be a, an October rewatchable for mm-hmm. quite a while, for sure. All right. All right. Give me your number eight. My number eight um, might need to be table. I'm not sure. It's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Table. Fair enough. So back to you. Mm-hmm. For your number seven. My number seven is Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. Oh, so you did like it. Put on, of course. Why would I not like it? I thought we were talking shit earlier. You can talk shit all you want. <laughs> it's fine with me. I don't care. You know how much shit I get about liking Transformers? I'm okay with it. No, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not gonna like no, you, bomb you or anything. No, but... you can. The whole internet has. It's just like Max <laughs> they came after you specifically. <laughs> yeah, they in the movie. Can you believe that? Did you name J.J. Abrams. Yes. Did you name Chris Terrio. Yeah. Um, I don't get it. I don't understand. You don't it, understand why people are upset about. This. I don't. I get why. It, probably in the same way that I don't understand why people don't think that Last Jedi is like one of the best fucking movies ever made. But I get it. You got sold a bill of goods uh, with the last. They took my goods away with the, with the Last they Jedi. They, not only did they take my goods away, they told me my goods. <laughs> were, they shit on my goods. They were like, "Your goods are no good." <laughs> Why? Because you only saw, we poo poo your goods because <laughs> no. you only saw two people using the force. What? 
What? Do you think that when he said, Ray, I have something to tell you, he was going to say, I love you, or I can use the Force too? Because I feel like that's where it was going with, with, with Finn. Okay, I, I here's, my, here's my bigger take on all of that. I don't care what the answer to that question is one way or the other because there's no romantic payoff. Of course. And there's no payoff to I, I'm Force-sensitive other than I have a feeling. At the end of the movie, that's that's it. Who has a feeling? Finn, when he says it to No Name Girl, who's introduced because they didn't want to have Rose Tico out doing stuff. I just I felt like it. If you wanted, if you if you wanted to steer it back on course, not that it needed to be, and you're saying, hey, I really don't like some of the stuff that you did over here, Ryan. That's fine, but you don't have to like give him the finger while you're doing it there was so much stuff to me that was unnecessarily just felt like fuck the last movie we know you hardcore fans hated it quote unquote so we're just gonna give you what you want but okay so now are the hardcore fans being like last year it was so good why'd you have to screw this up some of them are yeah that's the fucking problem with everything it's a fucking movie that you got to watch i I don't understand the internet sometimes i agree that's why Again, this movie's like a seven for me. It provided a baseline level of enjoyment. It is my you... number seven. <laughs> I... <laughs> it provided like a baseline level of enjoyment that you just don't get from that much stuff because it's Star Wars. I enjoy the aesthetics of Star Wars and all of this stuff. But most of the narrative choices that it made over and over again, I was just like I I, I brushed up against and you don't want to you don't want to do that. I want to be excited about where it's going, not like deflated by every single turn of it. And it started for me with the opening crawl, dude. And I never fully recovered from there, to be honest. Oh, like the Emperor Speaks or whatever? Yeah. Basically when it was like, I mean, I knew he was going to be in this movie, but when it was like, okay, this is the plot now. By the way, Palpatine's back. Kylo runs after him. Like, here we go. And I'm just like, Wait, what? I have a couple questions. Like, are we gonna address any of this? No, whatever. And I did. I just didn't feel like we needed a big bad again. It felt like so rushed. Like, there are too many fake outs. Chewie's dead, then he's not dead. C three PO's losing his memory, then he's not because it didn't want to commit to like any actual shit. I just, uh, I was frustrated with it a lot. For me, ultimately, it got where it needed to go. Like, I ultimately was quote unquote satisfied by the ending but i have major issues with that movie i think it's the weakest of the current trilogy inarguably yeah and i i would i maybe even be inclined to elevate god forbid i may even be inclined to elevate like revenge of the sith above it i don't know Hmm. i need to see it again i've only seen it the one time i saw it with friends we had fun watching it but there was that feeling the whole time of just like Wait, this is where we're going? This is where, what? Okay. That was really fast. Okay, this is like the ninth planet we've been on in 20 minutes. It, it just, it felt, it felt like it was throwing so much at you so that you wouldn't think too hard about any of the actual plotting or like what was actually going on in it. And ultimately, I didn't feel like we got much like character progression for any of our new characters who were set. It feels like the end of this should be the start of a whole new story with like the characters who we've been setting up for these last two movies 
but it feels like we just now got free, quote unquote, of the prior characters and the history of everything. Because yeah, everyone's so now dead. We can, so now we can start anew. But you're also telling me, well, this is the end of the Skywalker saga, and we have no idea where we're going next, and like that's it. So I am excited for the future if it can move beyond having to be tethered to. See, when you that's when you were saying so many positive things about Mando earlier exactly. and how it didn't need to be tied to it. I was like, I thought you were echoing what I my main feeling, which was like, the second that they, again, spoil everybody's seen it. Who gives a shit? And everybody knows, whatever. The second they reveal that she's Palpatine's granddaughter, it just the the need to tie it back into some structure that we understand, or whatever. Never mind the fact that it undermines the entire ending of Return of the Jedi, whatever. Why are you looking at me like that? How does it undermine the? Anakin's great sacrifice for his son is killing the Emperor, who doesn't fucking die there. Like, yeah, it just. So, so what was what was the point of all of that? To show that he still had good. That's all that matters. But he, but, uh, we don't have. Oh she God. even says it. Like you sense the, the We the can good have in him. we can have this debate with the other Blanchard brothers at some point. I don't really feel like. Oh no. I didn't even want a podcast about it to begin with because I like. My biggest thing is I don't really care. I'm just not invested in it at all. I wanted to like be really upset by it or like really excited by it, and I was kind of neither. I was kind of just you know what saved it middle of the road. What saved it? Nice shot, Lando. Wedge coming back in the end. That's what you need. That's what I was telling Zan about. I was like, you know what I want? I want you to give me Rogue Squadron, a movie or a TV series, and it's literally just about the the Rogue Squadron as it was set up from the the end of the Hoth battle. Until the end of Endor. And then what's it doing in between the Battle of Dude, Endor and now? Go, go pitch to Disney Plus right now. Seriously. Okay. What are you going what, what to lose? Nothing. You, you centralize it around a young Wedge, Antilles, and how he has to recruit people after the fall of the Empire to like come back I and do, face this I new I do threat. think that is a way forward, honestly, is a, a very ship-centric outer space show where we're not on planets as much like we are on Mando. Yeah, it's like right. fucking Top Gun, but with X-Wings. It's that simple. It's a thought. And you just have them like hang out in a space station in between fights and stuff. Mm-hmm. Could be cool. They play volleyball and okay. Let's workshop this. Yes. Okay. We'll and we'll, we'll get back to it later. So I'm not. I'm not mad at you. But no, I no. Just, I mean, I, I, listen. Here's the thing. If you go see the movie, you can say whatever you want. I have no problem with that. Bear in mind, they already got your money, so right. <laughs> doesn't really matter what you think. Because unless you are Bob Iger or whoever's running Disney these days, you that ain't changing. This ain't the this ain't it. This isn't Star Wars isn't done. No, and I that I I guess that's my biggest issue though is like we know that this is not the end. So the arbitrary like we gotta wrap everything up, we gotta tie it back into the Emperor, we gotta do all of this stuff that nobody was really asking for, just feels so like clustered like a giant clusterfuck dude and so rushed and like do you think it has anything to do with the fact that like you know a man couldn't kill Palpatine it has to be a woman now with like the current climate of things we had to make sure Ray took her out her grandfather and that's that kind of thing I think that's what it has to do with it is there no. any subtext with that going on maybe no okay <laughs> just I'm just curious no shout out to binge mode amazing Star Wars run over on the ringer network great podcast highly recommend it um, they they pointed out quite hilariously to me 
dude, if he's like, if he's getting killed with his own force lightning, like reflected back at him, why doesn't he just fucking stop, like, doing the force lightning? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm sorry. There's so many, lo- like, uh, I'm not one to sit here and, like, nitpick logic loopholes in a sci fi fantasy movie, but come on, man. It just felt like it needed a couple more, like, they could have pushed it to next year. It just, that is my biggest thing, is it, it felt, you could feel the rush, the need to, like, we gotta wrap this shit up, I came to this late, you guys fired Colin Trevorrow, like, I have a half story. Oh, I is that why his name's in there? Yeah, he still has a story, I guess they use some elements of the screenplay. I, I wanna know. know what, he, see, that's my thing, I wanna know, if you would just give me what, what he was gonna do, same way, give me why you fired What's-His-Face from, from the Han Solo movie. It was too funny. It was too humorous and entertaining and enjoyable. <laughs> That's why and who was Lord making Mil- that? Phil Lord and Chris Miller, the okay. geniuses behind the Lego Movie, the geniuses behind Twenty One and Twenty Two Jump Street, and one half of the geniuses behind Spider Man and the Spider Verse. I just named like four of the best movies of the last yeah. decade. Like, yeah. and so they wanted Ron Howard to do it of mm-hmm. all people, Mister Apollo Thirteen himself, Mister Backdraft. Oh, God. The Cinderella Man himself. <laughs> With a brilliant, brilliant, beautiful mind, Mr. Ron Howard. Jesus Christ. We could do Let's that all day. move along. That number was your seven. number seven? Yeah, your number My seven. My number seven is Midsommar. Uh, we've talked about it at length. Table? Mm-hmm. What? Okay. Yep. All right. Your number... Whole lot of table and not a lot of synergy. <laughs> number six. <laughs> Jesus Christ. My number six? Six on the ground, baby. Dude, I had to. Love you for it. Uh, check out our mini episode yes. back over on the movie arc feed. I, I, we may have mentioned all those feeds are staying up. We might do something with them in the future. I don't know. They might. I think we leave them up until our, our year, our actual year year mark. Like in May when we bust open year four. I think then we maybe pull them down, put them put them on Patreon. But for now, leave them up just to like have yes, you so know. people can catch up. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll see. Because who knows? Maybe they start liking all those feeds, and we get a big buzz around it. We're like, "Well, we can't put it all in one. We got to break them out again." Yeah. But um, we uh, we did a mini review. We both had a blast with it. Obviously, I, you told me it was like your number two when we watched it. So obviously, you've seen some more things. You've done some reassessing. I tell you what, I have watched since we watched this. I've watched the opening sequence about four different times. Oh yeah, the opening card chase alone. Uh, yeah, I mean. Go refer to that episode. Is there anything else you want to shout out about it? I mean, it's Michael Bay. What more do you need to say? Quite the transition. My number six is The Last Black Man in San Francisco. It's from A24. uh, Directed by Mr. Joe Talbot. Co-written by Mr. Joe Talbot. Jimmy Fales, who also stars in the lead role as Jimmy Fales. And uh, Rob Reichert. It's available on Amazon Prime right now kind of got lost in the shuffle earlier this year i've been very happy to see it creep up on a handful of top 10 lists um haven't seen anything quite like it really ever um it's uh it's a weird movie to talk about is he being forced across the bridge to oakland is that what the whole movie is about no that's a dave Chappelle bit sorry (laughs) Um, Goodbye, thanks for visiting San Francisco. Come back, we have a sale on Birkenstocks. There's elements of it dealing with like gentrification and some other things, but really it's just got this like very lyrical style to it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
kind of reminiscent of like some early Spike Lee, but it's still very much its own thing. Um, super unique performances. The other like another highlight of my best supporting actors of the year who are not getting their proper due um, would be Jonathan Majors as Mont, who is the lead character Jimmy Fails' best friend. Jimmy's working on restoring this house, which is like part of his family lineage that he doesn't, his family doesn't live in anymore. This rich white family lives in it, but he sneaks into this house and does work on it to keep it restored to like its original integrity, basically. Mm. And that's kind of where the story starts. It goes a lot of different places and explores a breadth of themes. And again, it just, it does it in a very like, novelistic impressionistic like just poetic loose lyrical style i don't know how else to describe it it's a gorgeous looking movie it's incredibly well shot and i've actually in some of the top 10 listings and stuff i've heard people discuss that the ending doesn't necessarily work for them i felt the exact opposite which is like the ending completely brought the movie home and like really delivers an emotional punch Again, haven't seen anything quite like it this year. It's on Amazon Prime. You can check it out right now. Highly recommend it. It's The Last Black Man in San Francisco. That is my number six. Okay. So, back to you for your number five? Uh, mm -hmm. Okay. And that is Midsummer. All right. We've talked a bunch well, about it. I love it. I Visually. Mean, I, it's the horror movie of the year, yes. as far as I'm concerned. I don't know if you're going to put anything above it. Uh, yeah, what more do we need to say? Again, I, I totally get anybody who wants to turn this movie off after the first 20 minutes. Mm -mm. It's a rough opening. It is rough. But, Very uh, rough. And if you stick with it, it's not like it gets uh, much lighter in tone. But it's... I've rewatched it twice now. It's a funny movie, man. There's a lot I really, really makes me laugh in this movie. Uh, yeah. Go, go watch it. Go watch Hereditary. Ari Aster is one of the most interesting and exciting directors working right now. I think we get something new this year because the guy works at seemingly a breakneck pace. So uh, That's what I can appreciate. Somebody who's working like, holy shit, I got invited to this party. I'm not leaving. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, that, I can appreciate that. All right. So back to me for my number five. Yes, sir. Um. Very, very quickly, I feel like we're going to start to get into some of the more expected picks, stuff you've seen on pretty much everybody's list, which I, I think I've hit a couple of those. The, I'm really surprised that this one did not catch on. and I, it, Maybe you have seen it now. I don't know. My number five is Ad Astra. I was just thinking about that because I saw that it was available to, to find somewhere. I need to go watch it. It is rentable on Prime. Uh not streaming yet it, it may be in the future i'm not sure if it's like coming to prime soon or something uh i was lucky enough to see this in the theater in imax it's one of the best theatrical experiences i had all year and in recent memory brad pitt who i i really thought the energy because okay ad astra came out september 20th mm -hmm. once upon a time which i know we can't talk about yet but for context came out july 26th mm -hmm. and i thought we were riding this wave of like pit is back everybody's in love with them again the movie star quality like that everybody's responding to in once upon a time in hollywood i thought that that would transition into people being really really excited for this new headlining space epic with him at the center of it now i also knew it's james gray 
probably not going to give everybody what they're expecting based on this trailer. And it delivered on that. So I, I'm going into it excited on the basis of the filmmaker and the actor he's aligned himself with. Mm-hmm. And not knowing much else about it other than Tommy Lee Jones is in this movie. I haven't seen Tommy Lee Jones in a minute. Very excited. Yeah. Okay. And knowing that Tommy Lee Jones is his dad. So I'm like, okay, we got probably some like daddy issues in space. Pitt. James Gray. <laughs> I think we're in for a good time. I did not expect like four or five of the most stunning set pieces I saw in a movie all year. Um, just stuff that was absolutely astounding to me. Now, I have yet to watch it at home and see if those things still play. But... There are moments in this movie that just straight up take your breath away, dude. And I, for me, and maybe I'm still being a little hyperbolic. Maybe I need to give it another rewatch. See if I still feel as strongly. I think this is the best like space drama that we've gotten in recent memory. And I, I put that above Gravity. I put that above Interstellar. Um, I put that above High Life, another movie from this year that I thought was very good, but nowhere near my my top ten. Uh, the Lost in Space season two, which I forgot to shout out on the TV arc. Well, that ship has sailed. <laughs> okay, uh, maybe maybe next month or maybe. later this month. Whatever, I don't know what the schedule is for these, but I I loved Ad Astra. I I think though, if people did show up for it opening weekend and they're coming off the high of that Brad Pitt performance in Once Upon a Time, this is like the complete opposite this is like the draining of his natural charisma um like it's overall kind of an exploration of masculinity and modern masculinity and so i don't there's also a lot of voiceover i know some people hate voiceover some people compared this to like the bad harrison ford voiceover from from blade Blade Runner. runner oh wow I felt the complete opposite. I thought it totally worked. Is it more like a Josh Hartnett from from uh, Sin City voiceover kind of thing? No, um, it's a completely its own thing. I hmm. like, and then I've also heard like Tarantino was on uh, the rewatchables recently talking about Dunkirk, great episode, and he kind of like threw some passing shade at Ad Astra, um. And was also just like, it's just Apocalypse Now in space. Like, it literally rips the exact structure. And I'm like, I I can see that. But, like, if you're going to rip off say the that, structure, just tell it's, it's not heart of darkness. Yeah. <laughs> and, he was, and James Gray was very open about that. He was like, this is heart's darkness in space, basically. But, yeah. Um, the, the world building and the details of it, and, like, because it's slightly set in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, just incredible stuff. I can't wait to chat more in depth with yeah, you no, about it. I, and I know and you wanted to get to it. Um, and I still, again, regrettably have not seen Lost City of Z, which I know was on your list like two years ago. Um, and that's, that's kind of the, why I know that name. Yeah, okay. That's the missing the missing piece. I So I am of the opinion that this is his masterpiece. But again, I have not seen Lost City of Z, which would be right up my alley as far as just movies go in general. I still don't know why I haven't watched it, but I know it's on Amazon Prime. So it's like in Charlie Hunnam and Tom... Tom Hardy, uh, Tom Holland. Isn't Pattinson in there too? For a split second, yeah, he is. That's right. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of uh, Papillon. I did watch the remake. It's pretty good. Okay. Rami Malek is channeling a little bit Dustin Hoffman. I can dig it. 
the remake everyone was clamoring for. <laughs> Papillon. I feel like that was one of those, we have to do something or another studio is going to get it. Who can we get? And it's like, Charlie Hunnam is another movie. Get him. Hey, didn't they do Ben-Hur earlier this year? Was that this year? I think it was last year. I was just like, who was asking for this? No, I think it's nobody. I think it's one of those, like, they get a lot of, I, I wonder how much stuff gets made that comes because to theaters to be. that is like a straight up Corman Fantastic Four movie. Like should not yeah. have been made, but had to be made to keep the rights. And how much of that stuff actually winds up like a Netflix release? Yeah. You know, just because they have to. I think like a Bloomhouse has to do like, oh, I got to do this. And like, or else like I, I lose the rights to Happy Death Day. I got to art for sale. I gotta make a third one. Let's do it. Something like that, you know? Okay. It's a, I, I loved Ad Astra. I, I hope people will give it a shot if they were a little reticent to I just remember when I saw it in theaters that it, there was like four or five other people in there and I literally asked like one couple afterwards like, eh? And they were just like, no. They were they just not spit on the it. ground and walked out. They're <laughs> just like, fuck you, kid. Yeah. Um, okay, moving right along. Your number four, five, where are we at? Four for me. Okay. My number four. Is us. All right, we we did a full on podcast. We uh, even went and did the whole Halloween Horror Nights haunted house. Yes, we did. That shit was, was crazy, which was pretty incredible. Yeah. Um, I have not revisited us. It's still in my top twenty, off of the strength of that first initial viewing. Uh, I don't know. It, it could potentially jump up. It could go down a little bit. I don't know. It plays for me now, having watched it fully. And reading like from start to finish, not missing anything, trying to find my fucking seat in mm-hmm. a movie theater, um, knowing like yeah, the, retro- the opening. In opening. retrospect, you missed quite a lot. Yeah. <laughs> in yes. Yeah. In arriving just a few minutes late, and having to find your seat. Yeah. Go, Which, go but no, I mean, like knowing what that that I mean, even without the opening, knowing all that, that just that brief little bit of like you get up on the screen of there being openings and cave entrances and stuff throughout the the country that we we don't know where they go and what they do like yeah just contextualizes yeah, it even without knowing that i still was fucking terrified yeah and so finding that as a whole i'm like oh shit okay yeah. um i again i look forward to revisiting it i i think i rented it in the midst of october watched mm-hmm. part of it and then like missed the restart on it it was a 24-hour rental or something i think it's on hbo um, now i yeah so i need to i need to give it another shot but right now i looked back at my list it's my number 21 hmm. of the year uh okay my number four you can go see in a theater right now probably it's called uncut gems came out christmas day what a christmas present uh any, what's your interest level in this? I want to see it really bad, but I haven't had a chance to. I saw it twice. I saw Star Wars over this, okay? Is that what you wanted to say? I saw it twice, back-to-back, unintentionally. Okay. okay. So I went once by myself because I needed to see it. I was... Com- um, part part of why you've there's been a little bit of lack of content, I had the flu for basically all of uh, Christmas break, essentially. Uh, so on the tail end of recovering from the flu, when I was finally feeling up to like, I got to get out of the house, I got to go do something. And I was like, I wanted to see gems like on Christmas Eve. I didn't get a chance to see it. I got to go. So I go 
I stifle my coughs through the majority of the movie. I'm on the edge of my seat. It's an incredible experience. I love it, okay? I'm, I'm pretty sure it's, like, one of my favorites of the year. But I'm, I'm also a little, like, I was a little off-put by some of it. So I'm wrestling with it a bit. Mm-hmm. Next evening, Mr. Brendan Riley gives me a call. And our initial plan is to go see Bombshell. Okay? We're standing in line to get tickets for Bombshell. The line is so long that we don't get to the front of the line until after the start time for Bombshell has already started. The whole time I've been looking, I'm like, Uncut Gem starts ten minutes later. I know he'll enjoy this. Like, as a, as a Sandler fan and a fan <laughs> yeah. of just movies. Yeah. I know he will be at least engaged with this movie. So I call an audible last second, and I go see Uncut Chips for the second time in less than 24 hours with a packed house, okay? First night, like two other couples, one of which left midway through. It, it was not for them. So cut to the next night watching it, packed house, knowing all the beats, knowing where everything is going, mm-hmm. and just right back in it and it's like the intensity level that everybody around me is feeling like got me back into the spirit of it and it just the, the last like 30 minutes of this movie is just like you just you just you're just like this man you're just absolutely on edge it's incredible filmmaking and it also has the score of the year period let's listen to a little bit of the uncut gem score right now actually It's incredible stuff. Daniel Lopatin, I believe. Mm-hmm. Or Lopatin. I'm not sure how you say it. Uh, it's my soundtrack of the year. Uh, score of the year. It's probably not going to be up for Oscars or anything, but it fucking should be. Um, it, it's the best. It's great. Isn't The weekend uh, on it? The weekend is in the movie. But he's not on the soundtrack of the score. No. Okay, so this isn't a Deep Blue Sea moment. I get you. No, it is not. Uh, he does perform the morning in the movie. What? It's set in 2012, so this is like... Oh, shit. This, this is, is like, like House under, of Balloons This is territory. like underground weekend, like before he's a thing. He's before, just playing yeah. like New York nightclubs. Back when he was just called Abel. Yeah. Anyways. Sandler. 
it might be the best he's ever been. I was going to say, is, I'm he, trying to, is he trying to make a point? Or I'm what? investigating this right now by going back and rewatch and basically rediscovering, like, I fucking love Adam Sandler. I give him a hard I, time for a lot of the output in the last, like, decade. But you I forget that it's just... I kind of with him, but I, you know what? I watched Billy Madison two nights ago. That is still one of the funniest movies ever made. Yeah. Top to bottom, like... I feel like they don't even make comedies like that anymore. Exactly. People like, forget that Adam Sandler gave you most of the 90s and all of the 20, the aughts, like the first 10 years of the 2000s, making fucking dick and fart joke comedy movies that you and your buddies would love. And then when they built Happy Madison, the production team, you weren't there for Grandma's Boy and you weren't there for the other ones that didn't have him in it. So what did he do? He decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to fucking make... I love Grandma's Boy, and Strange Wilderness is incredibly Exactly, underrated. but nobody else was there for him, yes. okay? You and I were, but nobody was. So what does he do? Fine. I'll take Netflix's money, and I'll go make a vacation movie with my buddies, and they'll fit the bill. Doesn't matter what they make. And he's, and and he's, he's pretty honest it. about it, but yeah. it's, it's movies like this that make you go like, dude, when you try, though... Wasn't he good? Was it? The, pun, didn't people talk about Punch Drunk Love? Him being amazing in that? A hundred percent. Exactly. One of my, up until this, I would say that's my favorite Sandler performance outside of a Sandler movie. Because if we're going in a Sandler movie, it's like probably Wedding Singer, maybe yes. Big Daddy. I don't know. Like he's he's great. He's great in his movies. Yeah. But then you see this, and you're like, that's a fucking character, dude. Like he completely disappears into it. But the movie kind of hinges on that natural jackass rebel charm that he has always had and it goes right back to billy madison just like how much will you put up with from this guy like how much will you let him get away with Mm -hmm. because you kind of find him entertaining or likable and uncut gems plays with that in such an interesting way again there's parts of it where i'm on the edge of my seat i thought it was incredibly funny and i had i got even more humor out of it the second time through um, and it's one of those, I can tell you right now, like I, I praised good time two years ago on a top 10 episode. I think it was like my number eight or nine. I, the Safety brothers are amazing filmmakers. I, this is, this is my favorite thing they've done so far, mainly because heaven knows what, and, um, good time, not f- fun, fun movies. But, yeah. They are electric to watch, but they're ultimately pretty depressing and upsetting uncut jibs i just i could watch it on a loop because it's just fantastically entertaining but it doesn't have this ultimate for me it doesn't have this ultimate bleak darkness that some of their other stuff does i can't wait to discuss it with you i would even love to go see it with you just to like watch you watch it but uh yeah we can make that happen okay that's my number four. It's Uncut Gems. It's in theaters right now. Go see it. People are, people are liking it. I know it's a little divisive. Uh, some people, I think, who are going in, it's the same thing he always runs into. Some of his hardcore fans are not going to like this movie. But I think people who like to see him do something different and people who have a, maybe a little bit more awareness of the Safties as filmmakers now yeah. will be going into it with the right mindset. Um I can't wait to see it again. I'll say that. Like I, I would have gone a third time, fourth, fifth, even in theaters. It's a great experience. Can't wait to get it on Blu-ray at home. Uh, okay, so your number four. No, it's my number three. What was your number four? Us. Oh yeah. 
So my number three. I forget when we flippy floppied. Yeah. What's your number three? The Irishman. Synergy. It finally happened. Okay. That's fucking teamwork. I think that's the only, that's the first one thus far, right? Right. Across all the list. Yeah. A uh, whole lot of tabling, not a lot of synergy. Again, incredible output from Netflix this year. You got Martin Scorsese, you got no complaints. You got Bobby D, you got no complaints. Pacino, Pesci. What more do we need to say? We talked about it a little bit on a prior episode. I forget which one. I think we did just like our mini-review, right? Very, yeah. Pretty brief. I think maybe it was on the tail end of a Manhunters. I forget. I think so, yeah. Something like that. How... I. I've watched it four times now. How many? You only been through the one time? Two times. I I just I love more than anything that it is on Netflix. I know there's so much made mm-hmm. made about it beforehand. Whether this was like the death of cinema and blah blah blah, but again, it's one of my favorite movies of the year. And then I I was lucky enough to see it in theaters a week before it came out on Netflix. And then the fact that I could just turn around and like I can throw it on whenever I want to, and like. Just, it's the ultimate, in the same way that Goodfellas used to be like a background movie that I could have on whenever, and just, you know, you just tune in every like 20 to 30 minutes and like, oh, I love this scene, oh, I love this scene, I want to see it. Like, it can play like that, or you can sit and properly engage with it, and it's one of the most like emotionally devastating movies he's ever made. The, the ultimate arc of it is incredible. I love the length. I know people made such a big deal about Three and a half hours, I, I, I wouldn't cut a thing. Uh-uh. I literally would not cut a single moment or gesture. I loved it, top to bottom. Incredible performances. My biggest regret of this year so far, it seems to be trending in the award season. Pacino and Pesci are getting, getting nominations out the ass, which is great, except for the fact that they're going to split the category and it's going to go to somebody else, probably Brad Pitt. Look at you talking like a bookie. Totally fine with Um <laughs> And then, and then Bobby D's just been left out in the cold, which I think is a crime because it, it's it, it's like a three way tie right now for I think the performance of the year. I thought he was absolutely astounding in it. Yeah, and I just feel like we're all just overlooking it. I it, it's really mind blowing to me. But maybe the Oscars will get it right. Maybe we'll see. At least nominate the man. Jesus, I know people have issues with him as a dude, but get over it i don't know why you would have a problem with him as a guy the the ultra conservatives the old old white guys are like you can't talk about trump that way i don't know if you tell him that to his face i don't know if you've heard he's not a big fan of our current president uh (laughs) he's got some issues i thought i thought like half of congress did (laughs) so who knows uh it's it's the irishman it's on netflix uh if you haven't seen it Take the journey and do not do not split it up. Don't. Uh, Again, we've we've talked here and there about sequences of the year. I think if I do have to give it, if we can cheat and just say a a forty minute stretch of movie, basically, um, or maybe just maybe we can boil it down to the fifteen or twenty minutes when De Niro gets on the plane to do what he's got to do. And all of the sound drops out pretty much from that point until he returns to that same airstrip, which contextually is like 
three hours later. Let's just say till he take from the time he takes his sunglasses off to the time he puts them back on. Yes. Yes. Um, is one of the best things I've seen in a theater in a very very long time. Uh, incredible stuff. Go watch The Irishman. As if we were the people that needed to tell you that. Exactly. You're number two. Murray, when you bring me out, could you introduce me as Joker? Oh, Christ. Okay. So we don't... All right. Brilliant. Okay. Fucking perfect. All right. Find me a problem with that movie. Everything that's not Joaquin Phoenix. That no, I'm saying, find me a problem with that movie in that world. You think about it, you watch it more than once, you realize those two dudes figured everything out completely. They made it all work completely. No problems. If you're looking at it as just a movie. Don't worry about the bigger picture. Don't worry about shit. Worry about the dude that you see in it. It fits perfectly. Okay. That ain't Arthur Fleck up there. He don't know who the fuck he is. He's just some abandoned child. So you, oh, that's not really the Joker's intro. No, it isn't, because that's just a random abandoned child. That's not his real name. That's not any of it. It could be anything. So anybody who's worried that, like, oh, they put a name to the Joker. No, they didn't. Society did. But that's half of the reason why he goes batshit crazy. He doesn't know who he is. Sorry. Okay. I've been sitting on that because somebody wanted to argue with me about it. Not you. What don't you like about it? What, what, what's, what's, your, what's your problems with Joker? My biggest problems with Joker is the fact that it's called Joker. Um, it's every part of it that is basically beholden to the comic book narrative. The fact that even as much as this is pitched as, hey, you haven't seen a comic book movie like this, it is one of the most comic booky movies I've ever fucking seen. And the constant war between we want to make an indie character drama heavily influenced by the Scorsese movies of the late 70s and early 80s mm-hmm. at war with, but we've also got to feature people like Thomas Wayne and we've got to wink towards Bruce Wayne and the evolution of Batman and we've got to place it in this grander context and we've got to toy with maybe there, again, Part of, part of my issue with what we were talking about in Skywalker, this fucking have-your-cake-and-eat-it-too stuff of, are they brothers? Are they brothers? Hey, hey, that's where we're going with this. Oh, hey, oh, but maybe we're not. And I understand that a lot of people think that ambiguity and the mystery of, like, you can never fully explain him is an inherent thing to the Joker. But at a certain point, when you're trying to ground this in a reality, and a, a care again, I would have preferred the movie if it was called Arthur, and it was made for $25 million instead of $50 million, and it wasn't associated with DC, and blah, 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 whatever. It's just about a guy who fucking starts putting on clown makeup. Probably would have played better for me. But all of the energy that it expends on confusing the narrative of, like, is he Thomas Wayne's, like, bastard child? How did this happen? Is his mom crazy? Was his mom lying to him? Like, all that stuff, for me, just kind of sends the story in a circle. And it meanders for about an hour. And then it reaches this violent conclusion that doesn't really feel like it's what it's been building to. 
and then I just and again I have nothing negative to say about his performance at all. No, oh, no. But he was astounding in it, which is why this movie's like a like Skywalker is like a seven out of ten for me. But at the end of the day, the ambiguity of like, well, did all of this happen? Was it all in his head? Did he actually like create Bruce Wayne? Is he the real Joker? All of that stuff. There's no definitive answers on anything. So there was ultimately nothing for me to like latch on to. And for me, I got to the end of that movie and I was like, then what was the point of any of this? Now, granted, you may sit here and say, well, isn't that the great joke? The great meta laugh that it didn't fucking matter. None of it meant anything. And I would say to you like, okay, but that's, that is not the movie that is being sold to you for like half the time. Of it trying to be this this deeper character study. And mm-hmm. I feel like if it didn't have to spend all of this time placing it in the world of Gotham, threading in the wane of it all, it could have actually delved into exploring his psyche a little bit more because I felt like it was very surface level. The explanations that we ultimately get for why he is the way he is are kind of the most boring things they could be. You know what I mean? In exp- for me personally in explaining it to the degree that they did it loses that inherent mystery that we're talking about and I would have just assumed spend more time with him as a character and the way that he interacts with the world I also the whole empathy line like it walks a very odd line for me of like the degree to which you maybe want me to identify with him or feel sympathetic slash what's actually on on screen in front of me i'll shut up now because i feel like i'm just like no no i mean this is this is why we this is really why we do this i just think that if you take it a step back you get a chance to i mean imagine if tomorrow everything you ever thought you knew about yourself was a lie a la looking glass from from watchmen Find out everything you thought was was like a big to do was all something a, a dude did. So imagine if you read something that was straight up the truth, on record, from the state, all that, that you are no one. You are nothing. And you're like, well, if I'm nothing, why is all this bad shit happening to me? Why do I why do I have the life I have? Why was I sold the idea that maybe I could be have a better life? And then all of a sudden, all that's taken away from you. And you're left with like, huh, well, I don't like where I'm at. Not really much I can do about it. I don't know who the fuck I am and what's, what I'm about. I'm just going to do what I want. And at that point, you're just done. Because my favorite scene that I honestly, maybe I'm pretty sure you saw it coming. I did not see that twist coming in at, when he went into her apartment. I was like, what the f- Oh, shit. What's another... Oh, God, no, he, no, none of that is real. That, they did a brilliant job of, like, keeping that from me. I honestly was not even, I wasn't even, like, there. I was Sorry, so taken aback. Sorry, but the first time that she calls him Arthur and is friendly towards him, I knew that their interactions were not actually happening. Because she has no interaction with him prior. All of a sudden, she knows his name. 
she acts like they've been friends before or whatever. It is very just when they to me it's very clear from the opening that that's where it's headed. And then when they do reveal that, it did one of the biggest movie sins to me in the world, which is just like we just cut back to every single moment and just remove her from it. And I'm like, I get, we get it. No, I, I got it. it. The, min- the minute she said but his name, I didn't need the, the flashbacks. You're here's right. the other thing though. It also the ambiguity in that scene of what happens to her afterwards. We never see her after that scene mm-hmm. of whether she's did he kill her, did he not? That that ambiguity is not interesting to me. Make a decision. Did he do it or did he not? Because that informs how I'm going to feel about him as a character. They don't want to. Again, it's a have your cake and eat it thing, which they continue to do throughout the movie. Same thing with the brothers arc. And the twist on that, it, it just, it's all of the the plotty shit that bugs me in that movie. It's gorgeously shot. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have some issues with the soundtrack choices. I still think, like, Gary Glitter, remove, remove all of the excess, like, hey, we're literally giving money to a pedophile. Like, he's making money off of the use of this song. Mm-hmm. Remove that from it. It's just not a good music cue for that moment. In yeah. my personal opinion, it even fades into the orchestral, stringy, creepy violin score that dominates most of the movie. That moment to me should have been this like big, ecstatic, like big band, full orchestra moment. And it's played with like, I thought I was watching fucking Suicide Squad again. What would you have put the, there? No, I'm, just, I'm curious. I wouldn't have put a needle drop thing. I would have put score. Okay. Big bombastic orchestral score. I would have had her crazy violin shit all of a sudden get this moment of clarity or like exuberance to it where it's not creepy and distended, but it's triumphant. Hmm. Like that was a really like that cue turned me off in the theater. And again, midsection of this movie, I want to rewatch it again, plan to rewatch it again. But I was like, I very rarely say this because I feel like it's kind of like the, like, most thoughtless kind of response you can give to a movie. I was genuinely bored by parts of this movie, which I don't, I don't think I should ever be bored watching a fucking Joaquin Phoenix movie. And I, yeah, again, I think he's brilliant. I love the physicality of the performance. There is a small part of me though, that feels like I've seen him be better in a lot of other things. And if this is the movie that breaks through and like gets him the Oscar and stuff, there is that part of me that's going to feel like, guys, where have you been for the last, like, ten years, basically? Yeah, I mean, I told everybody they should go see You're Never Really There. Which, uh, You're Never Really Here. Here, You're close enough. Whatever. Here, sorry. I, again, rewatched it, like, less than myself. a week ago. Incredible stuff. I love that movie. I could watch it at the drop of a hat, which is crazy, because talk about a dark, bleak movie, yeah. but I... I it doesn't I mean, depress he's, me. He's essentially in a good... It, this is well, the a, opposite of that. Well, that's what I was going to say. A lot of people have pointed to the parallels of, like, there's so much stuff where yeah. you can draw a straight line. And I'm like, yeah, I would rather watch the Lynn Ramsey version, which is about an original character and a fully formed human being that I feel like I understand by the end of that movie than a movie that has to be beholden to some sort of grander IP or narrative. I thought he was really going to steer away from it, and they just steer right the fuck into it. We watch... Fucking Thomas and Martha get murdered again in this movie. Yeah. And I never, ever yeah. thought that I was going to see me that too. shit again. As soon as I saw Zoro the Gay Blade, I was like, don't fucking do this dude, to me. And I even, 
But the beauty. I thought if if you just hinted at that and had the balls not to fucking show it again, I would have been like, "That's class, man. That's a classy choice." But Todd Phillips is not a classy dude. He's just not. He wants to be Scorsese. He is not fucking Scorsese. But He's see, the just... beauty of it is by putting that fucking clown paint thing on. Let's assume you could totally. Now, granted, this is just me spitballing. I don't think you need to do this, but it fits. And now this is the difference between being able to do this as a genre piece and as like, you know, part of a bigger IP. As it fits, you totally just have whatever original reason you want. You don't have to be the the Joker did this to Batman. The guy was going to kill him on whatever order. He just had a fucking clown mask on because Falcone said, blend in. I don't want you to get... I don't want you to get noticed. And it, it's everything, every problem that it creates thematically for people, I don't see it because you can justify it by, like, the subtle things they do. like Which, again, this is why I'm willing to give it another yeah. shot. Because there may be connective tissue I was missing. Like, maybe I was just a little tired, and that's why I found it boring in parts. I don't know, but... I've kind of reserved judgment on it, but again, on the strength of his performance alone, I the movie is somewhat undeniable. Mm-hmm. But I also think the movie is a, nowhere near as smart as it thinks it is, is kind of where I come down on it. I think it makes like a lot of choices that seem really like cinematic and interesting and are kind of empty and hollow at the end of the day. They're kind of just choices for choices' sake, and I don't really know that he fully understands... like what he's saying with all of it that's my main issue we we will continue this after i've seen it again i want to see if my opinion changes i would like to like this movie as much as some people do um but i also have huge issues with it okay that's your number two my number two okay my number two came out early in the year came out in may again kind of lost in the shuffle It's on Amazon Prime right now. Encourage people to give it a shot. It's called The Souvenir. Hmm. Um, I didn't expect to find a movie about a young female uh, in film school in England in the early 80s. I didn't expect it to be something that I personally related to on the level that I did. But this is the most like emotionally connected i've been to a movie all year um the lead character julie is played by honor swinton Byrne, the daughter of miss tilda swinton Hmm. one of my favorite actresses on the planet did she name her after the bond girl i don't know that'd be an interesting question figure it out okay uh told Tilda at Swinton. Tilda is in the movie as well, playing her mother. Very briefly, it is definitely Honor Swinton Burns movie, um, and it's like I said about a young filmmaker who finds uh, or starts a relationship with a guy who we can pretty much tell from the beginning like there's something a little off here. Maybe you shouldn't be doing this. He's played by Tom Burke. Uh, you might recognize him from Only God Forgives. He's the the brother of. <laughs> Ryan Gosling. Oh, the guy who's in there for that little bit of the opening. <laughs> yes. Um, if you've ever seen a movie with Tom Burke, uh, I would also recommend Donkey Punch. If you've never seen Donkey Punch, uh, he's a very intense, gripping individual. And this is 
both of these performances. She she is my best actress of this year, uh, and Tom Burke would be on my shortlist for best actor or best supporting, wherever you want to put him. But this movie's it's I understand why it's been difficult for some people because a huge chunk of it is kind of about being in a relationship or maybe being kind of trapped in a relationship where you're you're staying in it but you don't really know why but maybe you're not even aware of some of the red flags or issues that's a huge part of it but ultimately it's a movie about kind of how personal experiences and your relationships kind of shape or inspire you for good or ill and ultimately how they can kind of fuel creativity or a need to like make sense of things that have happened in your life and how sometimes you can approach that through art regardless of what it is but that's ultimately kind of what's at the core of it it's also just it's a it's a great kind of tragic love story mixed in there you'll probably have some complicated feelings about it they have a very interesting relationship that's all i'll say um again it might be a little slow paced for some people might not grab you but i found it it is it's an incredibly personal film for the director joanna hogg it's clearly based on like her real life experiences this is the one that ties in with pain and glory and marriage story and being kind of semi-autobiographical um and so there is kind of a meta nature to it as well the other thing that i'm very excited about because you don't really see this for movies like this this movie's getting a sequel that comes out this year the souvenir part two Hmm. and when you see the souvenir which again i encourage you to do um which has We've, we've talked about a bunch of different ones. It has my single favorite final shot of a movie uh, this year. It, it's absolutely astounding to me. It's the thing that put it over the top for me. And it, yeah, it gets you excited about the idea that there would actually be a sequel to this thing. So um, more thoughts on it, hopefully after Gavin maybe checks it out. Again, I don't know if this is up your alley or up anybody's alley really, but... I, I really connected with it. I'm kind of really disappointed that no love for Joanne Hogg for director this year. No love for the cast in terms of performance. The cinematography is incredible. But just every element of it, honestly. It's one of my absolute favorites. It's called The Souvenir, and it's available on Amazon Prime right now from A24. You know, the best production company. On yeah, we, really the need, we need to go work for them, man. That would be awesome. You should also check out the A24 podcast if, you, uh, if you're if you not subscribed. Go check that yeah, out. Yeah, I didn't know they had one. I'll do that. All right. The moment of truth. What's your number one? Can you not guess what my number one What's is? What's one time in Hollywood? Cha-ching. Nice. Uh, this was my number eight. I have not. I saw it twice in theaters. I have it on Blu-ray. I have not rewatched it yet. And it may just creep right back on up there because, my God, did I love this movie when I saw it. I had an absolute blast with it, so much so that I, I think I waited one day, and then I went right back to theaters. I think I saw it, no, I, I saw it Saturday morning after it came out, and I saw it the next night. I saw it Sunday night. So quicker than... Twice in one weekend. Uncut Gems. Pretty much the same structure almost, or yes, but no quicker, because I saw one, no, further apart. Whatever, it doesn't matter. You should just start going time. back to back. Uh, w- I mean, we've talked about it a little bit in reference to Pitt. Uh, 
DiCaprio, who I feel like is kind of getting lost in the shuffle. Of course he is. He for best does. actor, and it's like, but we just we just gave it to him for the Revenant. But then you sit there and you're like, but this is so like, I way prefer this mode and like Wolf of Wall Street mode to the Revenant. It's like, so because we gave it to him for that, we can't give it to him for this. Like, what are we? What are yeah. we doing? What are we doing? He's brilliant. Pitt, Pitt's brilliant. Margot Robbie's brilliant. Oh yeah, screenplay's amazing. All the all the little cameos. We did a we did a full on podcast. Yeah, no, it. I mean that's um, that was part of it. But I mean, I, I I was looking back and I was like, I didn't enjoy anything in theaters as much as I enjoyed watching. This, this. I mean, this chronologically, I saw Midsummer about a week or two before Hollywood came out, mm-hmm. and. At that point in the year, other than Endgame and a few other selections that I will mention or honorable mentions, I was kind of like, what the fuck is up with this year, man? Like, what's yeah. going on? And then all of a sudden, those two, like, yeah, those two hit kind of back to back. And I love that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, again, an original screenplay from one of the most you know original filmmakers there is, who is a brand unto himself, comes out. He's been in the game for forever now it seems like and it still managed to have the level of controversy that i feel like reservoir dogs or pulp or django or any of them did when they came out which is just like everybody had something to say about every single little aspect of this movie everybody was down to just dissect it and devour it and i was like how often does that happen for this kind of movie anymore you're used to seeing that response to the latest Marvel movie, the latest DC movie, the latest Star Wars movie. You you expect as much. But to, for people to be like so fervent about like, well, you think he was shit-talking Bruce Lee? I don't know. Do you think he, you, you think he killed his wife? You think it, Like, the amount of... De- do you think it went too far in the end? Like, what was that about? I don't know. How do you feel about it? <laughs> the amount of like debate and just conversation that really dominated for like a month or two after it came out, I thought in and of itself is enough to be like it's it's one of the movies of the year to me and as much as it is about the past or whatever like yeah i i'm rooting for it as far as award season goes but uh i have uh i have one other movie that i'm rooting for just a little bit harder that's my number one and it's called parasite and it it hasn't changed since I saw it. I, I mentioned it to you when it when it came out. Uh, it I haven't I haven't had a better theatrical experience this year. Absolutely What's it about? glorious. Um, I don't really want to tell you anything because it's one of those. You gotta have it revealed to yourself. This is the latest from Mr. Bong Joon Ho, uh, my second favorite Korean filmmaker, Did just make, after Mr. Park Chan-wook. Who made Train to Busan? Train of Busan is... It's not this guy? No. Okay, never mind. Um, But no, Train of Busan is... He's one of the... There's kind of like... Three or four, In right? the same way you've got like Del Toro, Coron, and uh, Inaritu, you kind of have your tr- holy triumvirate. Then I think the Train to Busan guy is, is part of this. Probably, I would imagine. Hold on just a moment. Um, Actually, no. I, I saying Ho Yin is uh, Train to Busan. I haven't seen Train to Busan yet. Oh. Anyways, we're not talking about that. We're I know. talking about Parasite. What's from Parasite? Director Bong Joon Ho. Okay, you know, he did 
the host. He did Snowpiercer. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. I know the dude. Basic premise. I'm going to keep it as vague as possible. Uh, An underclass family infiltrates an upper-class family. That's all I really want to say about it. Everything that Us does, Gavin, this movie does like tenfold. I don't know how else to describe it. Um, it is genreless in a brilliant way, in a way that like very few movies have pulled. The only other one that really comes to mind is something like The Handmaiden for Mr. Park Chan-wook from two years ago. Incredible movie. But it is simultaneously a, a drama, a thriller, a comedy, a horror movie, um, a, you know, morality play. It's there's so much going on in it. It's incredibly well shot, brilliantly structured. Like put this thing up for screenplay, cinematography, every technical you could give it. Bong Joon Ho is my director of the year. This it just it's one of those that even though it's South Korean and it's very particular to that society, it has so much to say about just like humanity in general. And it is entertaining as hell. And it's one of those movies that you can just recommend to anyone who loves movies. Period. If you just like good things, things that will just like, they're just pleasurable. I don't know how else to describe it, but every, just I watched most of this movie with a giant smile across my face and my jaw on the floor. I'm just like, I cannot believe what's, <laughs> this is just amazing stuff. Hmm. I can't say anything. This is, you always say you want me to like look you in the eye and tell you this is the, if you don't see anything else from this year, you have to fucking see Parasite. Where is it? Parasite will be out on Blu-ray in less than a month. It'll be streaming in about two weeks. Okay. You'll be able to see it before the Oscars. I will keep my ear to the ground. I I will look for it. 100%. I, I can't I literally cannot recommend a movie more highly. This is like an eleven out of ten for me. I fucking adore this movie. I cannot wait to see it again. It's called Parasite. It is my number one favorite film of twenty nineteen. A great fucking year for movies. Let's take a little musical break. We'll talk some honorable mentions and then we're gonna get out of here. Alright? Yeah. Okay. We don't have a fan in the studio, so it's getting kinda hot up here. The door's open, man. Yeah. The door's yeah. open. I got muscles like Superman trainer. Real, real rare like Super Sam Mega. I jump, stomp, stomp on Lucifer Satan. Now I got a few rings on Jupiter skating. I meant to say Saturn, switched up the pattern. Smoking on some shatter, got me higher than a ladder. Thanks, I'm flatter. My baby mama batter. You look like Mick Jagger. Oops, the grease splatter. Hot, hot. Jumping out the grease, it's a whole lot of degrees. About to come, about to fleece, fleece, fleece. Shh, I don't wanna hear a beat. Trying to catch some sleep, trying to count some sheep. Hot damn hot water, hot shower. Hot Atlanta smoking green cauliflower. Tangerine, yeah, I call it sweet and sour. And my lawyer say a surgeon, I'ma call him in an hour. Dude, I just caught a plug and his phone was unplugged. I was looking at Doug like, ooh, ooh. Dude, that shit don't even make no fucking sense. Like having fucking arguments for paying 50 extra cent for barbecue. Saucing on the workers at McDonald's. I don't want to sit and argue good 
taught you we all dudes And I'm all professional and proper But my baby mama stopped me in the meeting Just to airdrop me some news Hot damn hot water hot shower Hot land of smoking green cauliflower Alrighty then okay. And my lawyer says urgent I'ma call him in an hour <laughs> I did not know that Kel Mitchell was in that video when I showed it to you Reprising his role as Ed from Good Burger. Oh, I remember. I remember. Okay. So, we're, we're going to hit some honorable mentions. Gavin is struggling. No, I'm good. We're, we're I, wrapping. I'm fine. We're just wrapping. Just a little, little hot. We just maybe okay. crack this little guy over here. Let we that can, breeze roll in. We can do that. If yeah, you let's can. do that. Just right. a little airflow. Well, that's all. While, while I'm opening a window, why don't you tell the people about some of your honorable mentions? Uh, Cold Pursuit. People weren't really high on uh, Liam Neeson after his whole uh, telling people he felt like he... Formerly Hard Powder. Really? Not that sounds... That sounds... Just saying it would have probably made more money. Well, it probably would have made more money if he hadn't have said the whole thing he said and people like got mad at him for a while. I mean, the thing about, about... Feeling racism and like wanting to go out and hurt somebody because, yeah. It's like, okay... Judge a man for his feelings when he was, like, you know, 20 years old. You can't do that anymore. He doubled down on it. He did. Everybody did. You wouldn't. It was his feelings. (laughs) That isn't the good one. Maybe. I don't know. That's all I need. There you go. All right. Yeah. Um, The window. Cold. The window. The window by the Blanchard Brothers. Um... The Highwaymen on Netflix, that was a good one. Okay. Are these like legit, you know, close to your top? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm just, just I could. That you saw. I saw. <laughs> God damn it, you <laughs> caught me. No, I watched The Highwaymen when I was uh, down in, or up in North Carolina shooting a wedding. That was really good. I really love Woody Harrelson in that. Um, another good one that I, I don't know how I feel about Boyd Holbrook these days. I don't, I, I keep waiting for something big. many of us have pondered. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like I, I'm like, feel about Boyd Holbrook. He's just he, he's like, up a lot. He's just you know. like four different people in one actor, and I'm like, why don't you have a, like, you know, you think he's, you, you see Wolverine or uh, Logan, and you're like, all right, there's too yeah. many white guys with beards. Yeah, it's very simple. Yeah, there's too many of them. So who do we get rid of? I don't know, but we got to start eliminating some of them, or you and I are never gonna. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh God. Moving right along. No, but the um, speaking of white guys the, with beards, in man, the dark on. of the moon or whatever on Netflix, that was another really good one. But just okay. the time travel thing. Bokeem Woodbine. I mean, <laughs> you got Bokeem. You got fights. <laughs> yeah. Fargo season two. Shout Don't out. scream if you got Bokeem. <laughs> Sorry, that's a terrible pun on some terrible. Okay. Uh, billboards. That Go watch the big hit. Um, <laughs> if we've taught you nothing, I so, forget so about the big, the big hit, hit all the time, dude. Okay. I'm just going to hit a couple. Okay. Number 12, speaking of white guys with beards, there's one one white guy with a beard. Klaus. Who had a pretty big comeback this year. Is it Klaus on Netflix? His name's Shia LaBeouf. Oh, the uh, butter, peanut butter. Peanut butter falcon Dude. is my number 12. I've been on what a, a movie. Is it streaming now? It. I red boxed it. Okay. Um, I'll look for it. I wanted to see it. Just a, just a joy. Literally from start to finish. Like, love that movie, man. Everything about it. So much fun. Oh, God. Who made great it? Great stuff. Uh, first time filmmaker, if I'm not mistaken. Huh. Bruce Dern has a killer T 
teeny tiny role, just hmm. like he did in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Shy is great. Zach Gotts again, the the lead, the titular Peanut Butter Falcon is amazing. Dakota Johnson, you know, I still don't know how I feel about her, um, but she's she's fine in it. Um, yeah, great little. Oh my god, and thomas hayden church that's all i'm gonna say oh okay you gotta right, watch done. this I'm movie done. you gotta watch I'm this done. movie right. it's good stuff okay uh the lighthouse with mr willem dafoe rob pattinson robert eggers director of the witch probably the most it. batshit crazy movie i saw this year next to relaxer uh want to see it again it, it is now rentable Should so it was streamed. always gonna be limited it never came wide yeah, I mean, it came down here. I saw it. Well, yeah, but that was still one that was considered limited. It wasn't everywhere. Yeah, but they, I mean, it did go to multiplexes eventually. It got a little bit bigger release oh. than you would think it would. Yeah. Um, yes, okay. <clears throat> oh, we got some air coming in from outside. We got to wrap this thing up. Okay. Um, High Flying Bird, number 14. That's on Netflix. Uh, one of two Steven Soderbergh movies that came to Netflix, both of which uh, cracked my top 25. So, go see the other one, The Laundromat, which is at my 22. Okay? They're both great. They're both Soderbergh. What else do you need to know? Number 15, I have Glass, a movie that was made for me. I don't care if anybody else liked it. I, I Thank you, it. M. Night Shyamalan. That's all I have to say. I'll have to watch it. What a joy for me, personally. And also another contender for maybe the most batshit movie of this year. When you see the last five minutes of that movie and where it goes, oh baby, <laughs> you are going to send me a text. Okay, I'll watch that tonight because I know I can stream that at least. On, you gotta watch Glass. Okay, uh, this is a, a shout out with a huge disclaimer. We've mentioned it before. The Nightingale from Miss Jennifer Ooh. Kent. You did watch it, dude. Rough time. Rough, rough time, time at the movies but do you regret rough it? time in my bedroom i don't regret it at all yeah but like there's so, you know how like i talk about well like we were talking about the devil's rejects a couple long while ago like and it was mm-hmm. like how rob zombie gets people to like be in terror and be believable and not seem like a complete fake at it mm-hmm I wonder what you... That's the thing I don't think either one of us have as a director. I don't think we have the frame of reference to be able to tell someone, I need this from you, and I'm not getting it. I don't think we're mean enough to push somebody, if we need to, to get to some of the spaces that I saw characters in this movie go to. Yes. Um, Again, it's not a fun watch, but I think it's... an. It's a worthwhile watch. Absolutely. Don't get me wrong. Um. And again, she's two movies in, and I think she's firmly established herself as just like, what a fucking director, man. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. That is available still on Hulu at the moment. They have exclusive rights to it. Um, you can rent it elsewhere or purchase it. Again, well, we've talked about this. I may purchase it just to support the movie. I don't think I'm ever watching this. No, thing again. I'm not. Um, okay. Avengers Endgame, I had at 17. Good old John Wick. Yeah. Parabellum, holding it down at the 18 slot. Number 19, another appearance from Mr. Martin Scorsese. He made another movie this year. It's called The Rolling Thunder Review. It's on Netflix. It's about Bob Dylan. It's a half-fictional documentary. Never seen anything quite like it. We talked about it earlier in the year. Go watch it. Go watch it. Number 20, Knives Out from Mr. Ryan Johnson. I need to see that. Absolute blast. Great time at the movies. Highly recommend it. 
Number 23, I'm skipping over Us and The Laundromat, which I already mentioned. Number 23, Longshot. Did you see Longshot? What's it about? Seth Rogen, Charlize Theron, political speech writing. I feel like I was gonna watch it one night and we picked something else. I feel else. like I a lot of remember. people may have passed just based on the trailer. This is one of the most charming, entertaining romantic comedies I've seen in a long ass time, dude. Hmm. Just Charm City. Loved every second of it. And has one of the great supporting bros ever. Played by O'Shea Jackson Jr. What? He's incredible in it, dude. He's but you incredible. won't watch Den of Thieves. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> it's streaming on Number Showtime. Number 24. The Art seen it. of Self-Defense. Starring one Mr. Jesse Eisenberg what, is and Alessandro Novola. Um, rentable, probably. I wanted to see it. Um, Highly recommend it. Again, I dark, can do a top 20. Dark, of... twisted. Kind of felt like a lost Jody Hill movie. Yes. Honestly. That's the best way I could describe it. And not just because it has parallels to Foot Fist Wind, Yeah, no, I know what you mean. That's what, yeah. Yes. I get what you're saying. Uh, 25. This one, if you have not seen it, and I believe this is on Hulu and or Prime right now. The Standoff at Sparrow Creek. Mm-mm. Um, are you familiar with a little gentleman named James Badgedale? No. Uh, do you remember a movie called Hold the Dark? These people are wolves? Yes, these people yes. are wolves. Okay, do you yeah. remember the local sheriff buddy of um, Jeffrey Wright's character? Yeah. Who's kind of, you know, he's got some family stuff going on as well. He's in the big shootout. Yeah. That's James Badgedale. He's in flight with Denzel Washington. Yeah, he's yeah, been yeah, a billion yeah, things. yeah, yeah. He's the lead in it. And it is basically Reservoir Dogs set in a, um, like a local militia. Basically, hmm. there some shit goes on with the local militia versus some cops. And there's a question about, like, who's responsible for it. I don't really want to say too much. But it's all in one location, and it's a, we got to figure out who's responsible for this thing inside of our militia before we put the whole thing in danger. And James Badgedale is the one who's tasked with basically, like, interviewing everybody to figure out who done it, who done the crime. Huh. Okay. Great, taut little thriller. Super well shot. A lot of great that-guy actors that you'll recognize. Okay, perfect. Yes. Sounds the standoff like at Sparrow Creek. Number 26, this is available on Netflix. Dolomite is my name. Mr. Eddie Murphy, who I hope pulls off a Globe win tonight, Me I would too. really love to see that. He's amazing in it. Because we're live, we're live casting the, the the Globes, right? I, I That's don't what know. I came down here for. I mean, I, I mean, if you're gonna stick around for another like seven, <laughs> seven hours, hour, probably closer to twelve hours by the time it's over. Um, but yeah, loved it. Um, also, he was amazing on SNL. Uh, at the end of the year, I don't know if you watched that yet, but you should. I've seen bits of it. Gotcha. Uh, my number 27, another appearance from Mr. Shia LaBeouf. Again, great year. Honey Boy. This is the one that he wrote uh, while he was in rehab. It's not directed by him. It's directed by Alma Harrell, I believe. Great movie. Saw it in theaters. Uh, one of those that, like, I'm kind of glad I was trapped with it because maybe at home I would have been tempted to, like, pause it here and there. It's an hour and a half, but it, like, it packs a punch. It's about his childhood, basically, and his relationship with his father. He plays his father. Um, it's incredible stuff. It's dark. It's bleak. It's heavy, but it's it makes you. It really makes you understand Shia and somebody I've always rooted for. I've always liked as an actor who I kind of fell off on in the last couple of years. It basically kind of made me go, 
you're an asshole for kind of checking out on him. Like, we need to, we need to check out what was oh, going I've been, on. I've been, what's, what's the one that he did that with uh, Ron Weasley? That was one of my favorite movies. The Necessary Death of Charlie something something. Charlie Countryman? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I fucking love that movie, man. All right. I've been down for Shia, Shia since day one, dude. Me, right here with you. Even. I mean, you were more than me because you were so I was the age range. You were like, even Stevens yeah. all day. But like, Disturbia. I mean, we saw Disturbia in a theater. I know that was like when our collective like shared interests were just and like it was like he's gonna be transformed. He's gonna be the dude. This is our our uh, you on that basis alone. That's why you need to see Honey Boy. Okay. Yeah, I forgot he made. I didn't know he made two this uh, year. Waves, the latest from Mr. Trey Edward Schultz. He did it comes at night, which you've seen. Crescia, mm-hmm. which I would also highly recommend. Um, I really like this movie mainly because of the filmmaking. It did not quite hit me emotionally the way I had been led to believe it would. Um, but I would also... I, another one that I kind of want to revisit. Very interesting structure. Don't want to say too much more about it. Uh, but basically, it's a family drama. Check it out. My number 29 was High Life for Mr. Miss, excuse me, Claire Denis, um, with Mr. Robert Pattinson in the lead. Very strange movie. Still kind of processing it, but visuals alone and kind of the boldness of the filmmaking it it cracked my top 30 hmm. there you go alita battle angel from our boy mr robert rodriguez we had a great time with it give it a second shot let's let's get those blu-ray sales up let's get a sequel guys let's do it we can do it okay yeah because uh, we want a big budget hollywood one we don't want him to just have to drag across concrete yes uh i see i knew there was like one or two tiny that's, ones that's I was why i wanted to run these because i knew there'd be a handful that you maybe forgot or hadn't thought about and uh the last one i had that cracked the the eight or, or above uh the two popes which is on netflix right now just a just a great acting display from mr anthony hopkins and jonathan price who's just knocking it out of the park um and it's from the director of City of God. So great, great filmmaking. It's definitely more elevated than it needs to be for the subject matter. Um, but it does, it, it's it's a little bit like like reading a, a news story than watching a movie at a certain point. Hmm. Um, but still, great performances. So that that's it on my honorable mentions. Yeah. Do you have anything else you want to throw in here? Oh, no. I mean, I'm sure there's a couple of movies that I've missed and trying to watch it. That's the problem with there being too much is that when you catch something, if you don't have it up yeah, on a chalkboard I, or a pushpin board, you're not going to remember you saw it I guess until my, someone brings it up and be like, motherfucker, that was a good movie. My disclaimers as of the recording of this episode, I have a couple. I've still yet to see Bombshow. Yeah. I've yet to see Little Women from Miss Greta Gerwig. I have yet to see 1917 because it hasn't come out here yet. From Sam Mendes, which I thoroughly look forward to. God, I cannot wait for that movie. And can we I make that the first thing we to see, see together in theaters? Probably tonight, if the timing works out, the three-hour conscientious objector movie from Mr. Terrence Malick called A Hidden Life, which is about a conscientious objector during World War II in Germany, a guy who does not want to be a Nazi and what he has to deal with because of it. Based on a true story. Did Again, three hours. <laughs> what? You wished three hours of a guy just being like, nah, not doing it. If you watched this trailer, you would you would be on board. Who's in it? Um, August DL, who you would only recognize because Tarantino knows how to cast. Um, 
in the basement scene basement scene in inglorious okay say goodbye to your nazi balls he's the one who discovers them who catches them in the lie oh with okay the three glasses yeah you'd recognize him visually he's the lead in this though and how many years did terrence malick take to make this or just a couple he's been cranking them out a lot more. okay i just feel like i get it it's a story to tell but i don't care about it because we won so and that's what we're going <laughs> no, I'm it. just kidding. Well, no, I'm I get it. I'm about I'm, to go I'm spend per- three hours with it, which is currently the length of this podcast. Yeah. Well, there you go. Okay. Uh, so that was that was 2019. God, that was um, a-, a lot of good movies. A lot of stuff I'm still catching up on. Mm-hmm. I feel like I did a great job of catching most of like the things I felt like I needed to see mm-hmm. for sure. I got to. Whereas usually I would have wanted to wait like another two to three weeks to do this episode but there we go um i think what we'll say for now given the fact that we are bordering on we're over three hours uh, it's gonna get well once we add music it's gonna be over three hours oh yeah speaking of said music um if you want to hear our full-on top 10 list for albums of the year you can again go over to our patreon patreon.com backslash the arc of e and you can subscribe for the rate of $1, and you will uh, be able to see that episode, or excuse me, listen to that episode very, very soon. But we've been playing a couple of our choice tracks, uh, so hopefully you've enjoyed those. Hopefully you've enjoyed the new format. Let us know what you're thinking of the more extended episodes. If this is a terrible idea, you know, we've kind of committed to it, but we're not married to anything. So let us know, thearchive at gmail.com. Uh, shout us on Instagram at the Arc of E Network, on Twitter at the Arc of E, or search for us on Facebook, just the Arc of E. Gavin handles all of that. Mr. Sunshine Mayfield handles the Twitter, and I handle the Instagram. So keep that in mind. Um, anything else you want to say to the people in the new year? It's 2020. Any re- resolutions as far as podcasting is concerned? Anything you want to make sure that we do this year i want to make sure we go see more stuff together and i'd really want to do that whole 2020 like the 20th each month show i don't know what it would be about but we should definitely do it that's definitely a thought and then i also this would be kind of twofold i do want to try and see more stuff together the other thing i want to do is more mini reviews kind of up to the minute where we might just drop in on this feed and or drop it on the movie arc feed i don't know but just like hey just did a 15 20 minute little discussion on something as opposed to always having to have it in a huge broad context no 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 i mean so yeah as quick I'm as it takes to put we, it out when we know? can see stuff together we'll start to do some more mini reviews and then we'll use our you know twice a month episodes to get together and talk about everything else that we watched separately of each other and then i want to try and sit down with more people that i know to talk more movie stuff absolutely and we'll feature some of that here hopefully uh, like we said, we've still got Bending Not Breaking going strong on their own feed. Uh, those guys will have new episodes up very soon. And, uh, you know, say subscribed to the movie, the TV, and the music arc, because, you know, something might pop up there. We'll but, like, if you can only subscribe to three things, definitely get rid of one of those to and subscribe yeah, to this Stick one. with this. Again, yeah. this is the Arc of E yeah. podcast. Preferably get rid of the TV one. You can get rid of that one to come to this one. You don't want everybody to listen to Tuesdays? I'd much rather than listen to uh, When the Sun Sets East. Very true. We got that. Some of my best work. Excuse me. That's that's part of my resolution. We got to finish that series. 
We owe him two episodes. Okay, Ohio. We'll get it done. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, thank you guys for anybody who's made it this far. Uh, thanks for listening. Happy uh, We're new excited year. for a new year, new format, new cool stuff coming from the Ark of E. Uh, until next time, I have been Noah. And I have been Gavin. And we've been the Blanchard Brothers. Thanks you've for... been listening to what we be... Oh. You've been listening to what we liked in 2019. And something like that. All right. Happy New Year, guys. Happy New Year, people, folks, fans. These are the listeners. Fans. Listeners. Doing it for the fans. Doing it for the fans, bro. God. You don't know how many times I walk out of work and they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, going to Charleston. I'm like, what for? I'm like, you know, I got fans. <laughs> they're just looking at me like I'm the most pretentious piece of shit on the planet. It's so funny. <laughs> oh, man. Are you done? Deal with it! To the shop, I bop and take it steady. Fighting with my sisters in the house, she's on the couch, she don't move much. I got tea in my hand and I'm trying to do stuff. I woke up, I slept and woke up again. And this life didn't ever fucking change. I went to the pub and asked for a pint for three quid. He said it's a fiver, well, that's gentrification, you prick. Walking back through my old estate. I see my mates that hit my mates and they don't want to stay safe. They say you've changed. Fuck, deal with it. Just kidding, I'm back again. Uh, you didn't think we were going to let Mr. Sunshine Mayfield uh, go through this episode without giving his top 10 films of 2019, so here they are. At the 10 slot, he had The Nightingale, a movie I was not bold enough to put on my own top 10. Number 9, he had Honey Boy, another honorable mention for me. The Lighthouse at number 8, also an honorable mention. Paddleton coming in at the 7 slot, glad to see some more love for Paddleton. The Peanut Butter Falcon was his number 6. Uh, also in my honorable mentions. And number five, Jojo Rabbit, a movie I forgot to mention I have also not seen, so that would be a caveat for me as well. I hope to catch it before award season properly kicks off. I might watch it tonight before the Golden Globes. We'll see. Um, At number four, Mayfield has Parasite, my number one favorite film of 2019. At number three, a movie I have not yet gotten to, Little Women from Miss Greta Gerwig, which I've heard amazing things about and cannot wait to actually catch. Probably doing that later this week. Number two, Midsommar. Thought it was going to be his number one, didn't you? A lot of love for Midsommar uh, across all of our lists. And uh, at the number one slot, very glad to see this here, The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Again, that was my number six. That is Mayfield's number one of the year. So, uh... That was a little taste of Mayfield's list. Again, it might change as he sees more things. But for now, that's it's locked in. His favorite films of 2019. Again, I will remind you, go check out the latest episodes of Bending Not Breaking, which is on its new feed. And you'll probably hear from Mayfield sometime soon over here on this new feed. So, truly, now, until next time, I have been Noah. And thank you for listening to the first episode of the Arc of E podcast. Goodbye.